Welcome to the Election 2020 series of The Candidate. We're sitting down with each party leader and putting your questions to them to help you decide who to vote for on February 8th. I'm Christina Finn, political correspondent with the Journal.ie, and for this episode, we're sitting down with leader of the Aintu party, Padre Tobin. We've had a good few questions in for Aintu, one of Ireland's newest political parties. But first, on your former party, Sinn Féin, you've had some criticisms of them recently. Yeah, I suppose you're right. First of all, Aintu is probably the newest party that is contesting these elections. And uh, we, we're a year old. About 2,000 people have joined us. Uh, we're functioning uh, right across the island. We've gathered about 35,000 votes uh, so far in the elections that we've fought in. Uh, we've got uh, six elected representatives now. Actually, our vote was higher than people for profit in the local elections. It was higher than people for profit and Sock Dems in the by-elections just gone by. Um, and we're fielding 20, uh, 26 very strong candidates across the country. And I we're, we're, we're going to build a foundation in each of those constituencies, but there's about four areas I believe we have a good chance of actually taking a seat. And Aintu is looking to go into government uh, after this election. Um, you're right, obviously, my background is... Uh, I was a, a member of Sinn Féin for 21 years. I poured my heart and soul into the development of that organisation. I was elected rep with them for, for nine years. And it was a very difficult, uh, very difficult, bruising uh, experience uh, that I had with regards uh, the last number of years in that organisation. Uh, there are many good people uh, in, in that political party, uh, and I wish the party the very best of luck. Uh, I was asked a question by a journalist with regards my analysis of uh, how Sinn Féin operates. And... Uh, my instinct is that I should answer those questions honestly. And, um, you know, it's not my job to cover up or to defend uh, a political party that, you know, I'm no longer involved uh, in. Uh, and especially so given the fact that I had such, a, I suppose, a difficult time in my last couple of years there. And basically my analysis is that there are good, org- there are good people there, that it's a very cohesive uh, organisation, um, but it's too centrally controlled. And, um, you know, I remember as a TD, um, the TDs didn't have a parliamentary party that actually met and made decisions. They met with staffers. So a TD with 10,000 votes would have the same voice at those staff meetings as a person who walked in off the street and just got a job with the party the day before. And for me, those meetings were like focus groups. They didn't make decisions. Uh, decisions, you know, the temperature was was taken and decisions were made by, um, let's say, staff and, and leadership. And, you know, I, I, I pointed to the fact that I remember attending a meeting about a, a particular controversial issue uh, whereby uh, at the end of the meeting, uh, the TDs, you know, had a good, robust debate around it. Uh, but the staffer read out a decision that was pre-scripted uh, before anybody went into the meeting. So um, that was a difficulty uh, that I had within the organisation. Uh, I think that if the party started to um, give more empowerment to the membership, um, it would be more beneficial to them. So, for example, the Ord Corlia, um, the Ord Corlia, only about 25% of the Ord Corlia is actually elected from the Ordesh. Uh, and I, you know, when I was there, I used to, I wrote two significant reform documents. I gave them to Jerry and I gave them to Mary Lou. And one of the points I made is that the Ord Corlia should have at least 51% representation uh, from the Ordesh. That the membership at Ordesh, which is the biggest vote franchise uh, opportunity, um, should have more oversight and more input into the Ord Corlia because the Ord Corlia develops uh, the, the party. A lot of the Ord Corlia members are, are, are nominated uh, rather than elected. And, you know, some people in the party have been out very angry uh, with me for, you know, that level of analysis. I would suggest to them, listen, reform the organisation, 
don't be so defensive. Critique of a political organization is, is not the end of the world. Uh, and, you know, take on board the, the, the advice or don't. But. but if you felt that that was the issue with the organization was something that needed to be dealt with, why did you stay within the party for so long if you felt that there was... Uh, what people say, shady, shadowy figures, which obviously Sinn Féin disputes and says that it's like any other organisation. If you felt that way, why did it take so long for you to, to depart from them? Well, first of all, I, I would like to say I never used the word shadowy figures ever before. And I've also said that the way other political parties are run with regards to their own court is, uh, is wrong too. So, you know, we have a Fianna Fáil leadership who completely ignores the uh, Fianna Fáil Ardesh, you know, and that is, is equally as dysfunctional uh, politically. And in actual fact, when we went to register our party, we weren't allowed to register it unless the Ord Corley members were directly elected from the Ardesh. So it's, it's interesting whether those older parties would actually be allowed to register as a political party under the terms that they're operating in. Um, Two things. I definitely tried to reform the organisation uh, when I was in it, and I had conversations with many other elected representatives who had similar analysis to me. People were of the view that the party would change, and that there was, you know, uh, with the change of leadership, there would be a change of of of, of style. Uh, and also, you know, with any organisation, your perspective is a little bit different when you're probably in some level of conflict with them. So you see a different side of any of us, probably, uh, and any organization uh, than when you're on the sunny side, than maybe if you're on the shady side or, and, you know, just let's say that the, the, the side of conflict. And um, and as I said, in, in 2016 and 2017, I wrote these documents, I gave them to the leadership, I sat down with them, I discussed the issues, I wrote, raised them at the Ord Corley meetings, uh, etc. Uh, but unfortunately, there weren't. Well, rather, I suppose, than discussing your past, I'm sure you probably want to discuss uh, the party that you're in at the moment. And, you know, when you were first formed, um, the issues that perhaps came to the forefront um, when Ainge came onto the political scene was the issue of abortion and somewhat so the issue of immigration in relation to some comments that you made early on. And I think you've clarified some of them since then but on the issue of abortion we had a question from Conor O'Dowd and he was asking about the long-term prospects of AIN2 in terms of that he was saying that it was formed based on an issue that perhaps the vast majority of young people disagreed with so you might say obviously there's a lot of young people who agree with your party but are you wary that it might be um, based on one issue or that's what people view your party as? Well, first of all, there's no doubt that our party is probably now the, is now the last doll party that supports the right to life of everyone. And I suppose that's a, quite a shocking thing for a lot of people to hear. But, you know, uh, all the other political parties have a, have a, a radically different view uh, uh, to us than that. But anybody who thinks this is a one issue party, I've obviously not listened to us in the last year. I've obviously not read any press statements or uh, articulation that we've made on radio or in the doll or have not looked on our website. In actual fact, when we launched our manifesto, we were the first political party to do so. And it was noted by the journalists that were there of the, 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 the breadth and the depth of policy there. And I would say, like, for example, we have been to the fore, I believe, with regards the fact that Ireland is divided. I think Ireland is divided into uh, north-south, first of all, but obviously between an overheating capital, that's the most congested uh, in Europe, that's actually the 17th most congested uh, in the planet, is up there with the likes of Mumbai, which is a, a megatropolis uh, that's just developing. And then we have a sprawling commuter belt where people are commuting from Ulster, Connacht and Munster. 
spending up to three hours a day commuting uh, into Dublin. And that's having a radical, that's actually tearing apart the fabric of family life in Ireland. But the right to life is fundamental fundamentally one of the big parts of your manifesto which oh, would differentiate you from a lot of other parts it, it is a differencing it the, the, the fact that we stand up for the right to life for everyone does differentiate us from every political party there's no doubt but there's plenty of other elements that would differentiate us differentiate us from every single political party uh, so for example we, we we the candidates that we're running we're trying to introduce the idea uh, into Irish politics that the candidates would stand up for what they believe in uh, the idea that uh, a, a, a TD wouldn't stick the finger in the air to find out which way the wind was blowing and would actually uh, have principles that they stand by. We want to introduce the idea into Irish politics that what we say in, in advance of an election is actually what we're going to deliver uh, when uh, the government actually happens. But if you're saying that you're interested in going into government, that's obviously going to be with some other party. And you're already admitting there that on those on that one issue there's stark differences between you and a lot of other parties. So is that something that you're willing to compromise on well, in terms of if if a lot of parties were to be cobbled together to, to get a government off the ground, are you willing to set aside some of the right to life well, issues? Well, we, we know that we're not going to reverse the repeal of the 8th. That's, you know, that's a decision that has been made, etc. Uh, you know, where our focus would be, would be to reduce maybe the number of abortions that happen on an annual basis. One of the ways that we would do that uh, is... About 85% of the abortions that happen in Ireland are on the basis of socioeconomic reasons. Uh, so because of the economic policies that have been introduced by Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, so many women feel that they don't have the economic choice to actually have the child. So, for example, last year, 19 women gave birth who were homeless in Ireland. And, you know, our attitude is, first and foremost, we want to make sure that every single mother in the country has the economic confidence to be able to raise their child to the full potential. That economic confidence is not there, and it is uh, forcing many people to make decisions that they wouldn't already make. So, you know, rather than uh, allow for uh, a situation where young families are in such economic constraints, Aintu's first objective is to make sure that they actually have an economic choice. And just on the issue of abortion, it was something that was also raised in terms of a lot of the other parties would be pushing forward with the exclusion zones. And I was wondering what your position is on yeah, those. First of all, I would have very little t tolerance or time for many of the uh, methods that are used by certain individuals with regards uh, what's happening outside of some of the maternity hospitals. However, I do believe that, you know, in the right to protest, uh, I just think it's interesting that Paul Murphy and his friends surrounded a, an elected TD for hours and hours and hours uh, in a very, very difficult manner, went to court to vindicate the right to protest. Uh, it was vindicated. And yet the same people are actually saying that individuals standing silently outside of a, of a building uh, don't have the right to protest. In, you know, in a functioning liberal democracy, uh, people have the right to free speech and to protest. And you know, when we start to roll back on those uh, freedoms, we actually weaken uh, democracy. One of the things that Aintu is about is to try and actually um, to challenge the groupthink and the herd mentality that exists in Irish society. Ireland is a phenomenally uniform place. And, you know, in the 1950s, there was a, a uniformity and anybody that deviated outside of that uniformity was banished uh, as such. And Ireland in 2020 is a phenomenally uniform place. It's just, a f it's the policies are the flip side of it, but the intolerance is, is, is there. And I think, you know, when you see people uh, talking about, you know, uh, trying to 
uh, stop freedom of protest, I think that's a dangerous thing. Um, Bernard Conway was also in touch with us and he wanted to know what parties aim to would consider forming a coalition with um, or was there any particular party that would just be a red line for you that you would not talk to? Well, the, the political party that's probably the most difficult for us to be involved in would be Fine Gael. Uh, we just think that Fine Gael uh, equals division. Uh, if you, it, I mentioned the division that exists in Irish society uh, in a spatial fashion. But if you look at, like, you know, Ireland's divided between those who have access to housing and those who don't, those who have access to healthcare and those who don't, those who have access to a decent income and obviously those who don't, and those who have access to, you know, somewhere safe to live and those who are cursed with, you know, phenomenal violence. And I don't think that's by accident. I think ideologically, Fine Gael are appealing to those who live on Fine Gael Street and they have you know, purely in marketing terms, identified their, their target audience and have delivered a, a political platform uh, towards those. Into, the word Aintu means unity. Uh, we believe that everybody lives under the same sky and that we are responsible for everybody else, no matter how weak or vulnerable uh, or disadvantaged they are. And what we're looking to do is actually create one Ireland whereby, you know, we, we are all in this together with regards resources, with regards income, with regards services. And that's why I suppose Fine Gael would be hard for us to go into government. On with. that issue of uh, unity, Emery Tobin was in touch and she wanted to know what your party's plans for reunica- reunification were and when did, exactly would you see that happening? Yeah, so first of all, we, we were the first political party to introduce the idea of a new Ireland forum. And that the idea of that is that we would bring together all the political views in Ireland and the civic society organisations. And we would set out three objectives. One, to strengthen the All-Ireland economy, because the All-Ireland economy hasn't got the attention that it needs. Two would be to see how best we can mitigate against the worst excesses uh, of Brexit. And three, how actually we can start to uh, develop and to create a united Ireland, and like we are, uh, we are pr- practical Republicans. We believe in the idea that you know, let's talk about people along the border region having access to healthcare on either side. That you know, about one department of education, about Gardaí and the police actually working together to, you know, it, it, border crime is a big issue, and yet. The criminals can get across the border for them, but there's a hard border for the police forces uh, on the island. There's a million and one individual practical steps the state can take, which would have the effect of improving the quality of lives of people, but would actually reduce the height of the border and, you know, make that it easier to get to that sunny day when we actually do uh, obviously have a united Ireland. Um, And just touching on the issue of immigration, um, that was something that kind of dominated the launch of your party a year ago in terms of comments that were made. What exactly is the position within your party in immigration and particularly on direct provision? Um, It's a narrative that has come out over the last uh, number of months, some would say rather concerning. You know, we're we're talking about Uchterard and, you know, some of those protests which are looking to stop people coming into the towns. What exactly is Aintu's position well, we, on issues like that? We said something very controversial uh, at that party launch. We said that Ireland should have a conversation about immigration. And we were lambasted from a height from all of that group, mental- group uh, views and herd mentality. Uh, and, you know, it was very clear to us that many people believe that immigration should be a taboo subject. We don't. We think that there, we are adults living in a, in a modern country. There should be no taboo subjects. Uh, and the fact that we said that it's interesting that the, the summer was followed 
by all of these different protests outside of direct provision sites. So in, in our view, if you don't have a respectful and reasonable discussion around the issue of migration, what you simply do is you push people who may have, let's say, concerns around it into the hands of those who won't be respectful or won't be reasonable. And you see that all over the world is when, you know, reasonable voices are shut down on these issues, people are pushed towards the likes of the Trumps, uh, etc. And that's a mistake I hope Ireland doesn't make. We believe that anybody who's uh, fleeing violence, famine or war, that we as a country have a human responsibility to offer them refuge within international law. Uh, we also believe that migration is a part of a normal functioning society, that migrants make a fantastic contribution to Ireland and that many of our services simply would not function without it. Uh, but we also understand that there are many um, pinch points within Irish society uh, and many people have anxieties. And an example would, would be the issue of those direct provisions. So we have a lot of rural uh, 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 communities where, you know, there's very few, if any, jobs left in them, that where there's maybe no doctor, no public services, very little transportation. And without any consultation in advance, you know, the government comes along with the decision to open up a direct provision centre. What we're saying is consult with the communities that you're going into. Don't go in there and tell people that you're, you're going to do X, Y, and Z. Consult with them first, bring them on side. Actually, I believe there's a generosity in the hearts of most Irish people. And most Irish people, if they feel that the services uh, are in place, and if they feel that the numbers are uh, proportionate, most Irish people will be happy to, to reach out and, and give people refuge. And if there was anyone in your party that spoke out with... Uh, you know, some of the language even that was highlighted from Noel Grealish um, over the last number of months, would that be a sort of thing that would be tolerated within AIN2? Well, first of all, we'd have no tolerance for any level of racism, any level of discrimination. It's very important for people to realise that AIN2 is a Republican party in the nature of Wolf Tone. We believe in a, in a pluralist Ireland of Catholic, Protestant and dissenter. We believe that everybody should be who they are to the full extent uh, without fear or favour. Um, and anybody who obviously discriminates on the basis of the colour of the skin or the colour of their eyes or either background or religion or orientation, is it that's not acceptable in any way for ourselves. Um, and we would ask people when they're communicating on this to be respectful and to be uh, uh, to, to be reasonable. Uh, and, and hopefully people will respond to that. I just want to play you um, a recording we have here from one of our readers who had a question also for you. My name is Colette. I'm from Portlaoise. And my question for Mr. Tobin is, what are his views on mandatory sentencing as proposed by Fianna Fáil, the incarceration of people with mental illness and the lack of forensic hospital beds in the criminal justice system? Um, so kind of touching on the criminal aspect and also, I think, on mental health issues there, what sort of um, proposals would aim to have in terms of, of those issues? Crime and health are, are such a huge um, issues that have, have arisen in this election. OK, absolutely. And first of all, I would say with regards to mental health, about 6% of the spend, 6% of government spend goes towards uh, mental health in health. We believe that should be about 10%. The CAMs services currently throughout the country are nowhere to the strength they should be needed. So in a county like Meath, where there should be five CAMs teams, there are three, and those three are not fully staffed. Uh, and I know there are 2,500 people currently waiting for their first uh, appointment with a mental health clinician. 
some of those people over a year. Uh, and it's, it's an absolute disgrace that that, that, is, that is the case. Uh, with regards, um, the this country had an institutionalized attitude towards uh, people with mental health for so long. So what we decided to do is to close those institutions and to um, support people within uh, the community. But actually that support wasn't actually given. So many of those people now find themselves in prisons. And if you look at prison numbers, etc., there's a very high proportion of people there who would have mental health issues. So what we've done is we've actually gone back maybe even worse to what the, the, the original response of the state was. And we in Aintu believe that we need to just we need to make sure that we have the investment in community based mental health services. With regards to crime, um, this is a very big issue for us and it's an issue that we've led on, I believe, uh, in a lot of ways. We're living in an Ireland now where we, we see an abs- absolute horrendous level of brutality uh, in certain killings. We saw a young child uh, killed uh, in Drogheda recently. Obviously, uh, Anna Creagel, another uh, child uh, killed in horrific circumstances. Uh, we see in my own home county petrol bombs being thrown at Trim Court. Uh, guns being discharged in daylight in Drogheda, armed police, you know, uh, on the streets of of Longford. 7,000 people have died from drug uh, problems in the last 11 years. That's the population of Ballinasloe. So the response to this has been incredibly poor. First of all, the state has not properly invested in those communities. You know, I would have people in those communities come to me and go, Patter, I don't have a hall to provide a scout uh, facility. I don't have... The, the ability for a youth club uh, in, in, in these areas. Uh, and the level of investment is not going into creating jobs and prosperity in those areas. Uh, I remember when I got involved in politics first, I remember when I'm from a middle class background in, in, in County Meath. I was uh, joined my first uh, political common in Dublin. I, I went into a block of flats, I climbed the block of flats and I was you know, I saw, first of all, a pair of women's tights uh, on the steps. I went further up and I saw a piece of tin foil on the steps further up and I saw a spoon. Uh, and at the top of the steps, I saw a 17-year-old boy and he was foaming at the mouth. And very clearly he had taken an overdose. And then a, 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 about a seven-year-old child in a Christian brother's uniform stepped over him. And he was a ruddy-faced, happy-looking child. And he just stepped over him like it was normal. And it was very clear to me uh, at that stage that that seven-year-old child would be in the 17-year-old's position unless there's some level of intervention in that particular community. And my attitude is, even if you've no humanity about yourself uh, in trying to, to, you know, stop people falling into this type of uh, of disaster, on an economic basis, even if you're a Fine Gaelor, let's say, on an economic basis, there's a massive cost in the prison system, in in crime, in, what in about non-productivity, in, in not dealing with these issues. Decriminalisation of, of drugs would that be something that aimed to? Like? I would be very cautious about decriminalisation. Uh, I, I, I'll be honest with you because uh, I think the decriminalisation experiment has still not really uh, been analysed. I think the jury is out, and if you look at what's happening in Colorado. There's really mixed results uh, coming out of that uh, with regards to the damage that it's, it's doing to people's minds uh, and to the damage it's, done, it's doing uh, to other types of crimes uh, as well. I do think that we do need to tackle uh, drugs in, in, a, in a new way. Obviously, we have to tackle supply with true Gardaí. Our Gardaí levels are still not up per, at the per capita levels that they were uh, in 2009. But we also need to look at it in the, in the demand level. We need to start really educating children about, you know, how disastrous uh, these steps can actually be. But I, I would actually be calling for mandatory drug testing at drink driving 
tests. Drink driving tests have radically changed the behavior of so many people. In my father's day, it would have been totally normal for a person to have a few pints and get into a car. And yet most people my age, I was going to say our age, but my age would, would in fairness, think a hundred times before they'd actually do uh, and something the same, like, you think that would have I the think same to a certain extent, if, if, if a middle class person who's recreationally taking drugs in the weekend knew that that, that decision could lose to a loss of license, I've no doubt that it would have an effect uh, on their desire to, to, to do it. Uh, with regards um, uh, Gardaí, we really, the, the, the Gardaí level, in, in Meath, for example, there's a whole swathe of the county, 30 miles wide, 15 to 20 miles north, and um, on a Sunday, there's five Gardaí on duty. And if there's a call out for an arrest, that's down to three Gardaí, who can hardly then uh, uh, do the phones, never mind actually uh, execute any type of, uh, of action on behalf of, of, of people. So we really need to get to a situation where we have a proper Garda uh, presence. We also need to invest in, in mental health services. There's no dual diagnosis services of, of any sort really in the country for people with mental health is- issues and addiction. In Meath, there's no um, there's no residential rehabilitation uh, beds for young people. So if you're a kid and you want to come off drugs, that, that so. option isn't there for you at the moment in, in many counties. And uh, you're from Navin yourself. You're fighting for that train um, as well with, I think, Fianna Fáil now have said they'd also like the train and... I think it's been in the works for some time there. Who, who promised it there a number of years ago? Yeah, so it's, it's been promised for about 20 years. I've been involved in the Meet on Track campaign uh, for that period of time. Of the, I'm the chair of it since 2016. Um, and it's been very apparent since about 2015 when obviously traffic started to build up again. Um, there's, there's been real damage done there. And that for us, this is a really important issue. Uh, this is up there with housing, with healthcare, uh, as with regards importance. Because... There are so many people now who don't see their kids during the week whatsoever, who are only seeing them on the weekend. There's so many people whose relationship with their children is telescoped into 40 minutes of stress every single evening. Uh, This is having a radical mental health effect, I I absolutely believe, on on many, many people and physical uh, difficulties. There's, There's the stress of if a bus is full, do I get in, in, uh, on time for work? I think as a country, we really need to reorder the the uh, spatial development of, of Ireland. So what AIM2 is looking to do, and this is, I think, one of the most radical proposals of any political party in Ireland, we're looking to develop an international city somewhere else outside of Dublin. We believe that Ireland is becoming a city-state. And as a result, we need to build a city of international importance somewhere else in Ireland that it grows to a certain level that it can draw down international investment in its own right, that it goes to a critical mass, that it becomes a counterbalance to the sprawl of Dublin. Now, the first question I get asked as well, where do you want that to go, Patter? Uh, my instinct is don't have politicians anywhere near that decision because if, if it's going to be politicians involved, it'll be one for everybody in the audience, it'll be diluted down to the level that it'll have no impact whatsoever. It's our job to create the criteria under which a competition for the selection of that city is uh, is is done, but we shouldn't be the the politicians should that not directly not choose. Is that sort of decentralisation or? It, uh, well, if you look at in Denmark, for example, Denmark had a problem that Copenhagen was too outsized with regards to the rest of the country. So it selected our house. I think it had a population of about sixty thousand people. It started to front load investment infrastructure. 
uh, jobs, population into our house. And then it grew to a city of international importance. And now it draws energy away from Copenhagen to Copenhagen's benefit. Uh, and we need to do something like that. I'm suggesting in the north we do something like that and in the south uh, so that there is two international cities uh, that are growing. Now, these are not to be built from scratch. They would be a provincial town or an existing city and uh, that would actually make the grade uh, for this type of project. Well, it sounds like an, an amb- ambitious um, task there, there uh, for me too, anyway. But uh, thanks so much for coming in to us today. Really appreciate you taking the time and answering the questions. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Candidate with me, Christina Finn. Thanks once again for all your questions and we're sorry if we didn't get to include yours. If you'd like to listen back to our interview with some of the other political leaders, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was produced and co-edited by Laura Byrne. Please leave us a review and rating wherever you get your podcasts and more importantly, share it with a friend you think will enjoy them. 